passion. Because every time you walk by this black cat, it was like, Rawr! it was mechanical and the back arched. And then it, it would sing a song. And it would be like, why do I feel like somebody's watching me? Like nobody was watching you. You just scared the daylights out of me. Now I'm watching you because you looked at me first. I'll be in the back stock room. That's you know what I'm talking about, right? Remember that stupid, yeah, that stupid black cat. Walk by, whatever feel like somebody watching that. No, nobody's watching you, stupid cat. But have you ever felt like somebody was watching you? Ever felt like somebody's following you? You ever drive on the highway and get convinced in your mind that the guy you cut off four exes back is mad at you and now they are following you? And so you get off the wrong exit on purpose because you don't want them to know where you live because you know that most of the folks in our city are crazy. And you know if they're anything like you, they're not right in the mind, praise God. You know what I'm talking about. So you take a whole wrong route home and they follow you half the way and you're convinced they're following you until they pull into a random driveway. That's their house. And it was really you following them in front. Amen. But what if I told you that you're not alone? And feeling like you're followed. And there's somebody in scripture who was convinced that he was being followed all the days of his life. And his name is David. He was the king of Israel. He was the shepherd boy who killed Goliath, turned king, warrior man. And David penned one of the greatest scriptures in Psalms 23. But he closes it out and he says this. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Something happened and something transpired in David's life that he was convinced that God's mercy and his goodness were stalking him. You see, we've been talking about the faithfulness of God. And in week one, we talked about how God is faithful even in circumstances where we are broken, that he is able to bless us. And he's faithful to bless us even though we don't feel like we're worth being blessed. And Pastor John preached a fantastic message last week how he is faithful to love us and forgive us. But I want to talk to you and tell you today that God is faithful to follow you all the days of your life. And by the end of this sermon, I want to tell you exactly why God is following you. I want to tell you exactly why God is stalking you. Look to somebody next to yourself. you got a stalker. We ain't talking about Pookie. We talking about Jesus. We ain't talking about Maria. I got y'all two fellas. Amen. Come on, let's pray. Let's bow our heads. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you, Lord, for every person who came out to just come to you today. Lord, they didn't come to Citywide. They came to meet God. They didn't come to see Pastor Lewis. They came to see the Father, to encounter him, to draw to him. Maybe some came here today on the invitation of a friend, but today we ask you, God, that you would break their mentality and speak to their heart. In Jesus' name we pray. And the whole church says? We don't know exactly when Psalms 23 was written. Theologians and scholars and historians, they can't really pinpoint it. But one thing is sure about the psalm, and the one thing that is sure about the psalm is that it is written towards the end of David's life. And some surmise that maybe it was in the time where Absalom, David's son, was trying to overthrow the kingdom from David. And David might be waiting back where his his generals were and his armies were fighting the armies of his son. 
And whatever the circumstance that David was facing, David began to take an inventory. Somebody say inventory of his life. In other words, David began to look over the course and the span of his life. And David began to think about, the, my God, the goodness and the mercy of God. He began to look over every situation, and I bet you he thought about the time that he fought the lion and he fought the bear, and he said, man, the Lord is my shepherd. I shall not want. And he began to talk about all the scenarios where God had covered him and where God had protected him. He began to to think about all the situations where God had been good to him. When he had been bad to himself, God had been good to him. And he began to think about even when he was sitting with Bathsheba, how God was still good to him. When he ordered the murder of Uzziah, that God was still good to him. What a good God you serve. And he began to think about all the things in his life. And in verse 4, he declares, even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil. In other words, I know that even when I walk through death, when I walk through times when my life is on the line, when I was in battle, it was God who sustained me. It was God who kept me. It was always God, always will be God. And so David takes and he looks over all the course of his life and he gets down to verse 6 and he says emphatically, surely goodness and mercy have been following me. Surely it was the goodness of God all along. Surely it was never mine own strength. Surely it was the presence of God. David surveying the landscape of his life, he realizes at that point what he probably knew all along. It was God when I couldn't see him. I'll give you my three points. Here's point number one today. Here's point number one. I couldn't see God in the moment, but I could recognize him in the memory. I couldn't see God in the moment. In the time of my affliction, I said, God, why? But at the time of my memorization of the affliction, I said, thank you, Lord, for if I had not been afflicted, I would have gone astray. In the time I was going through the trial, I, I didn't see God. I said, God, why is my home in this condition? And I didn't see that God was birthing something new out of it. And I could not see that God was using hardship to bring maturity in me. And I could not see that God was using the hard times of life to teach me how to prevail and travail in the spirit. And I could not see it then, but I see it now. I couldn't see him in the moment, but I recognize him in the memory. It's the memory of God that I, oh, I look back and say, man, I made a mess of that. Me and Bathsheba were a mess, but God gave me a Solomon from my Bathsheba. He, God gave David a future from his past mistakes. For it would be Solomon who would take over the throne. It would be Solomon who would make Israel greater and greater. And it would be Solomon who would build the house of God. But Solomon was from an adulterous relationship. Surely, goodness. And mercy shall follow me all the days of his life. And David is looking back over his life and he says, When I was in the green pastures, God was with me. When my soul was empty, God restored me. When I couldn't lead myself, it was the shepherd God that led me. When I was facing the valley of the shadow of death, it was him that was comforting me. When I was surrounded by evil, it was him that was directing me. When I needed correction and guidance, his rod and his staff, they comforted me. When I was in the presence of my enemies, he made my table before me. Can I get somebody? Do you understand that it was always 
your own strength, but it was God. Every step of the way, surely goodness and mercy have been following me. Surely it was God all along. And David is realizing, just like some of you might be looking back over your life and thinking of the goodness and the mercy of God. When I was out sinning, God was merciful. When I was out drinking, God was good to me. When I was drunk driving, God had mercy on me. When I was living neck deep in sin, he still came to save me. When I was in an utter place of darkness, he shined his light called Jesus Christ onto my life. Surely, good and mercy will follow me. That's a forever faithful kind of God. That's a God that is worth saying thank you, Lord. That's a God worth saying thank you, God. Because if I look back over my life, all I, <laughs> you see, I got, I got a little baby and, and my poor wife. She goes and she, my wife is very clean and I love that about her. She'll go and clean every single glass table in my house. And here comes my daughter, just fingerprints everywhere. I thank God that when I look back over my life, I don't see my fingerprints. I thank God that when I look back over my life, I see his fingerprints. I thank God that even when I made a mistake, he worked it for my good. I thank God that even at my darkest time, he was the brightest I could ever want him. I could ever need him. Surely, goodness, and tell somebody next to you, you're being followed. I couldn't recognize God in the moment, but I could recognize him in the memory. For when I thought you had abandoned me, you were just too busy being good to me. When I got to you, I got to God by mistake, and now I can recognize your mercy. For what kind of a God is this that I can mistake my way to him? What kind of a God is this that I could be so bad that I could be good to him and he'd be good to me at the same time? What kind of God is this that I can be hateful towards him and all he does is show me love? What kind of God is this? This is a forever faithful kind of God who says, I will be with you all the days of your life. I don't care if you like me or not. I'm a good, good daddy. I'm a good father. And even when you're bad, I'm going to be good. And even when you're wrong, I'm going to be right. So that one day you look at me and say, I want to be right with you, dad. I couldn't recognize him in the moment, but I see him in the memory. When I look back over my life, it wasn't me. It wasn't my strength. It wasn't nothing. Have you ever faced a situation as you look back on and people say, I don't know how you got through it. I say, I don't know how I got through it either, but he does. If it was not for his mercy and for his goodness, everywhere I have ever been in my life, I see God. Every situation and every circumstance that Satan meant to destroy me, I see God used for my good and God built me up with it. He built me up with it. And David said, surely goodness and mercy have been following me. And then he says this, he says this. He says, they've been following me all the days of my life. Here's point number two. All the days of my life. God's faithful for a lifetime, not a season. You see, when you deal with religious people, they'll try and tell you about seasons in God. 
They'll try and tell you how God is upset at you now because you fell into sin and God has abandoned you. But that's everything against the gospel of Jesus Christ. The gospel of Jesus Christ is he comes to those who are hurting, broken, and sinful, not to those who got it all put together. And so the gospel says that he's good for a lifetime, not just for a season. God is always good because if God was good just for a season, it would mean the character of God has changed. But because the character of God can't change, because he's always good, he's always merciful. What, what is goodness? What is God's goodness? The attribute of God's goodness. Let me tell you something I learned this week. This is the attribute of God's goodness. If you took all of God's attributes and put them in one pot, that's his goodness. What do you mean, pastor? Well, because God is loving, we know that God is good. And because God is merciful, we know that God is And because God is gracious to us, well, we don't deserve it, we know that he is And because God offers us salvation, it tells us that he is. There is nothing that God can do in his character that would make us think he is bad. And thus, everything that God does and God is, is good. So the goodness of God is every attribute of God in one. The sum total of all of God's attributes, that's his goodness. And he says, surely goodness and mercy have been following me all the days of my life. This will really break some people up. All the days of my life. Listen to what he says in Psalms 27, 13. I believe that I shall look upon the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He believed that God had the ability, the strength to be good to him, somebody say, in this life. To be merciful to him in this life. To be gracious to him in this life. The goodness of God is here for you now. It is here for us today. Exodus 33, 18, Moses said, please show me your glory. And the Lord said, I will make my goodness pass before you and will proclaim before you my name, the Lord. And I will be gracious to whom I will be gracious and show mercy on whom I will show mercy. So Moses is there and he's dealing with God and he says to God, well, show me yourself. Show me your glory. Show me who you are. And God says, I'll show you my goodness. I'll show you my faithfulness, my love, my mercy, my omniscience, my omnipresence. I'll show you everything, but it's in my goodness. And so God shows Moses his, somebody say, goodness. We can not separate God from his goodness. We can't separate the two. They're inseparable. And David believed and declared that God would be, somebody say, good and merciful all the days of my life. This is troubling to some people. This is troubling to some religious people because they would think that God on your bad day would want to discipline you. They would think that on the times where you slip and fall and you mess up that God is there to kick you while you're down. But he says all the days of my life, not some days, not good days, not my best days, all the days on the bad days, on the worst days, when I fall, when I'm down, when I'm out, on the worst days, all the days of my life, surely goodness and mercy are following me. Surely goodness and mercy are following me surely it's like he has this revelation like oh my god 
Surely goodness and mercy have been following me. This, this breaks apart many people's theology because if God was just good for a moment, then we can lose salvation. But because God is good for a lifetime, I'll put it into terms you're going to understand, amen. You buy a new washing machine with a lifetime warranty. That made a little more sense, amen. You know, the funny thing is, if you tell me something has a lifetime warranty, I am less likely to buy it. That's just me, because I'm going to think, well, why do you need a lifetime warranty? It must mean that it's a really bad product. It's going to break sometime. I'd rather go for the 10-year warranty, amen, the five-year plan. But this is God's warranty on his goodness and his salvation. He says, I will give you a lifetime warranty on my goodness. I will give you a lifetime warranty on my mercy. I don't care what no one says and no one, even on your worst day, I'm going to love you. Even on your best day, I'm going to love you. But here's the messed up part. Your best day and your worst day look the same to God. Isaiah said it best, my good deeds are as dirty rags before the Lord. Even on my best day, I still look dirty if you didn't see Christ in me. But because Christ is in me every day, my God, because I have the living God, the Son living in me, I have the seal of his salvation. As Ephesians 2 said, I have the seal of the Spirit of God in me. And because of this, when he looks at me, he doesn't see my sin. He doesn't see my hurt. He doesn't see my pain. He sees his Son. And because he sees his son, he's able to be merciful to us. God's faithfulness and his goodness and his mercy are not for a moment or a season, but a lifetime. Some days I slip, but there is his mercy. Some days I'm bad, but there is his goodness. Some days I'm depressed, but there is his mercy and his goodness. Some days I'm, I'm hurt, and there is his goodness. All around me, there is God. His mercy, his goodness, there is God through it all. He is good for a lifetime, not a season. And then David says this, and I'll close it with this. Here's what David says. He says, surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. And then he takes it a step further, and he says, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord, for how long? Wait, wait, wait. For how long? I, did he say forever? You know what this tells me? David's no longer just talking about, he, he's no longer talking about this life. In other words, David's saying, his mercy was with me when I was messed up. His goodness is with me now even as I move forward all the days of my life that are left. And then in the next life, it's his mercy and his goodness that will guide me into his house. What? I think David knew something that Paul would later on echo, and we see it in Romans chapter 2, verse 4. And I want you to grab a hold of this church. David says this, and I'm reading from the King James Version. Rather, Paul says in 2.4, Romans 2.4, Or despisest thou the riches of his goodness and forbearance and longsuffering. In other words, don't despise the fact that God doesn't discipline you when you deserve it. 
but that he's forbearing. That God doesn't throw a lightning bolt when you need it. He has patience. That God doesn't destroy you when you are being sinful because he's good to you. This is what he says. Listen, listen. Not knowing that it is the goodness of God that leadeth you to repentance. The goodness of God leads us to repentance. It's not the judgment of God. It's not the discipline of God. It's not the what you can do for God. It's just his goodness that leads you to his merciful, gracious forgiveness and salvation. What does this mean? Why is God following me? Let me tell you why God's following you. Because he knows two things. Number one, you need him. Whether you want to admit it or not, you need God. You may be sitting here today and you came just at the invitation of a friend and, and you have no idea, that, that rather no intention of, of letting Christ in your heart. But here's the, you need him. And it's his goodness that leads us to him. What does that mean, pastor? That because God did not destroy us and because God did not judge you in the time of sin, it was because he was being good to you so that one day you would recognize his goodness and come to him humbly and repentant. God wanted you so bad that all the time that you were being bad, he just kept on being good so that one day you would recognize his goodness and then see his mercy and then through his mercy have faith in Jesus Christ and the grace that was poured out in the blood for us that you would come to him and say, God, I need you. That you would one day look back over the landscape of your life like David did and say, surely, my God, holy, wow, surely goodness and mercy have been there all along. Surely, surely goodness and mercy. Can I challenge you that that is a faithful God? That that is a forever faithful kind of God. And then he says this in Matthew 19, 16. And behold, one came to him talking about Jesus and said, Teacher, what good thing shall I do that I may obtain eternal life. You know, a lot of people say, well, I'm a good person. That's good enough. According to the Bible, you're wrong. Being good is nothing to God. Well, I don't hurt nobody. It's not about hurting nobody. It's about submitting your life to Jesus Christ because Jesus said, I am the way, I am the truth, I am the life, and no man comes to the Father but through me. Not through your goodness, not through what you can do. And this man approaches Jesus and he says, Master, Rabbi, Teacher, what can I do? What good thing can I do that I should gain eternal life? And Jesus says to him, Why are you asking me about what is good? For there is only one who is good. And he's talking about the Father. He's talking about God. That's why the one is capitalized in your Bible. He's talking about God. And at the same token where he's talking about God, he's talking about Jesus. For there's only one that is good. For Jesus and the Father are one. And he says, there's only one that is good. And do you know who the good one is, church? Do you, do you know who this good one is? 
Let me tell you, he's the one who's been following you. And David said, surely goodness, and we know that nothing is good because Jesus said it. No one is good. There is nothing good except God. So surely goodness and mercy, who is he talking about? Surely God has been following me all the days of my life. Surely through every mistake and every blunder and every time and trial that I face, surely God had been following me and surely the Lord had been leading me when I didn't even realize it. And when I fell, guess what? He caught up to me. And then what did we do? We ran back off again like a little kid. And then we fell again. And what happened? What happened? Goodness and mercy caught up to us. Then we fell and we skinned our knee. We hurt ourselves and we sat there crying because somebody broke our heart and our home was in a mess. Oh, God, I'm so hurting now. Oh, God. And here was goodness and mercy to say, it's all right. Get back up, honey. It's okay. You can do this. And then, and then we ran away from God because every time things get good, we leave God. When it gets better, we don't have to read the Bible as much. We don't got to pray as much because now we're in a good, strong place. But we fall right back into the same sin and we're in a vicious cycle. But when it happens, guess what? Who's there? Goodness and mercy, twin brothers. And they're following you all the days of your life. And then we get back up and we say, this time, God, it's for real. Nothing's taking me from you, God. Nothing. And then when we get down and out, it's no longer Satan who beats us up. We beat ourselves up. Because we've been in church now this whole time, but, but we, we have been falling away from God while still being, how could you fall away from God and be next to God? How could you come to church every Sunday and still not be spiritually growing? It's because we're not really connected to God. Just because you come to my house and have dinner don't mean you're connected to me. Hear me. Just because you say amen today don't mean you're going to eat this food. You got to digest this kind of stuff. And to realize the goodness and the mercy of God has been following us. But it's time that you came to a place in your walk, in your relationship with God, that God is able, that God is able to overcome you. You see, because this word follow in the Greek, or rather in the Hebrew, is the word radaf. And this word radaf, it means to pursue with the intention of taking over. I may answer this question again. Why is God following me? He's pursuing you with the intention of taking you over. Thus is why David can be able to say, and I will dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In other words, I have eternal life in him. In other words, I will be with the Father in eternity. So he takes it from his past, his present, and talks about the future. I will be with the Lord forever. Surely, goodness and mercy have been following me all the days of my life. And what a God you serve that you can mistake your way into his mercies. Yeah. What a God we serve that we can be so bad, but yet he's so good. Some of you might say to yourself, man, pastor, I... 
<laughs> you know, this little guy is funny because I don't, I don't think I'm that bad. In comparison to Jesus, in comparison to the great mighty righteousness of God, in comparison to the perfect holiness of the Father, your goodness on your best day. I don't care how many old ladies you help cross the street. I don't care how many grocery bags you carry up the steps for them. I don't care how many butts you wipe for them. I don't care what you do. All your good deeds are as dirty rags before the Lord. And it's not because God is downplaying. It's not that God is downplaying what you do. It's just that he has to be true to who he really is. And because he is so perfect and because he is so holy, even you thinking that you're a good person doesn't match up to God. Well, pastor, what are you saying? What I'm saying to you that is if you think that by your goodness you will get to him, you're going to fall greatly short. You see, God is the only one that you can give up with and win. That you can give up on sinning. You can give up on running. You can give up on trying on your own strength. You can give up. This is the only war that you can surrender and win. This is it. Right here, right now, today, some of you need to surrender to God. Some of you need to surrender yourself to the goodness and the mercy of God. Others just need to give God thanks for his perpetual goodness and mercy in your life. Because some of you have been running for too long. Some of you have been like on a treadmill, running in place, but leaving God's presence. Meaning you've been in church for a long time, but God has not been able to grip you and grab you because you have been abandoning his goodness and his mercy and questioning his intentions. Doubting God. And if you would just look back over your life, just like my, my dining room tables full of my daughter's fingerprints, no matter how many times I wash them, you're going to see God's fingerprints over your life. No matter how many times you try to take credit. It was not you. It was always him. Would you stand with me today? This young man said to Jesus, what one thing must I do? What one good thing must I do? What one good thing must I do? And Jesus said, there is none that are good. There is none that are good. There is none that are good. And that's not to make you feel bad about yourself. It's, it's really to make you feel really good about God. That there's nothing good in us except for Jesus. So here's what I'm going to ask you. If you know that God is speaking to you and you know that God is working with you, in a few minutes, I'm going to invite you just to come up and the prayer team's going to pray with you. We're going to lift you up before God. We believe, as the Bible says, we can touch and agree. I don't care what phase of your walk in God you are in. I don't care what phase of your walk with the Lord you are in. I don't care. If you know that God is ministering to you and you have to get Draw, or rather draw closer to him. And the Bible says in James chapter 4, verse 8, if you draw near unto me, I will draw near unto you. And maybe the first step you need to do is a step of faith and just walk to the altar and say, God, this is me drawing near to you because I've got some things in my life that I know you want out and I want your goodness and your mercy to overtake you. In other words, if you've been running to God, here's the finish line right here. Here's the finish line right there. No more running from him. 
And some of you might think to yourself, well, I can do this from my chair. And the truth is, you are absolutely right, you can. But yet there has to be an outward symbol of what is inwardly transpiring. There should be an outward declaration for what is inwardly happening. Don't be ashamed of the working of the Spirit in you today. Forget who you came with. Forget who's around you. It's you and God right now because at the last day when you stand before Him, it'll just be you and Him and not who brought you to church. So here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to pray. And then after I say amen, if that's you, if you know God's dealing with you, I want you to make your way down one of these center aisles. Don't delay. As soon as I say amen, just come. Just come. The worship team will sing, will praise, will worship God, and then we will go home. The whole church said amen. Come on, let's bow our heads. Surely, surely, Father, people are recognizing your goodness and your mercy here today. Surely, Lord, you have poured out greatly on us your goodness and your mercy. You have been forever faithful to us. But, Father, as we've been talking as a family, as we've been preaching and teaching, God, your spirit has been working on hearts and minds alike, Lord, because we asked you to. Because we've been praying that you would bring them in, that you would touch their hearts and their lives. We've been believing that you would bring them to encounter you. And so now is the time. Now is the moment. Father, I pray that you would stir up in them like a river of living waters, God. That your spirit would make them restless, God, as they wrestle with the fact that you are calling them to righteousness, to salvation. Others, you're calling to have peace. You're calling them You're beckoning them to give you their problems. As your son said in Matthew 11, 28, Come to me, all who are weary and all who are heavy burdened, and I will give you rest. So, Father, we pray right now that you would strengthen them as they come. You would make them bold as they come. In Jesus' name we pray. Come on, amen. Come on, if he's talking to you, you're coming up now. Amen. If he's dealing with you, that's right. That's right. Just come. That's right. Just come.